0: These are not normal times. Look at what they're teaching our kids. Open your eyes, look at what is going on. If I sat on this stage three years ago and told you that a scientist was going to be able to shut down millions of businesses and put people out of their jobs and people were gonna be forced to wear a mask, you would've thought I was insane. We're losing our country, we absolutely must fight. We need a radical disruptor, somebody who New Hampshire can send a message down there that we are not gonna take this. If they pull this on us,
1: He'll send me down there as a message. Welcome to another edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, managing editor at nhjournal.com. We're going to get right to it because as we record, last night was the big New Hampshire Journal uh, debate between the Republican candidates for U.S. Senate, the first debate for the candidates, our official timekeeper on the scene, and he ruled with an iron fist was the Josiah Bartlett Center's uh, uh, executive director, Drew Klein. Drew, what would you think of the debate last night?
0: Well, it would have been better if I had had the air horn I asked for <laughs> instead of using my phone alarm. But no whatever, air horns.
1: Work. No. Ah, no. That would air- have been
0: so good. <laughs> <clears throat> um I could have gotten Bruce Fenton to pay attention to me, which would have been Uh, amazing. He
1: was was very animated. So what we're going to talk in a few minutes to Harris Alec, who was our ringer for last night. He is a Capitol Hill reporter for the Washington Times. And I really wanted an outsider who knew Republican politics and knew what D.C. Republicans were thinking to kind of go over it. He had a very interesting take uh, that's coming up here on the podcast. But uh, what's yours?
0: A couple of things. One, um, when I had... When I had Kevin Smith on my radio show last week on WFEA on 1370 AM, 99.9 FM in Manchester, uh, 6 to 9 AM, when he was on last week, I asked him about the the prospect of Roe v. Wade being overturned and what, as U.S. Senator, he would do. And he said nothing. and, And so I thought that was a surprising answer. I thought he'd be the only one. But no, one of the big takeaways was not one of the five candidates would propose or do like get any federal law whatsoever regarding abortion they own a a fully and wholly return to the states and we don't have time for follow-up questions so obviously one of the questions is okay what about interstate transportation of abortifacient pills like we didn't get it in that level of detail but it was an interesting answer Um, look if you want to sort of talk about who came out um, really well. well let, let's stop there because that's
1: worth you. Yeah. You noted something, <laughs> and that's worth noting, and it's in our NH Journal coverage. But the fact that none of the five, as hard as they were, they were straight up. They support the New Hampshire law. They support uh, a ban on third trimester abortions. They didn't apologize for it. They all supported the Roe versus Wade decision, but not one of them would say, "And I want to take a single step more yeah. than where I am right now." That's in a Republican primary. You know, there's. Uh, states like South Carolina and, you know, uh, Utah, where that would get you thrown out of the party, practically for being too pro-abortion.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why I mean, I think it was interesting. And Maggie Hassan is out there tweeting and putting press releases and saying um, any of these people would would um and Mitch McConnell wants a federal abortion ban and they don't they just they don't and that's one of the things I think is interesting and that'll be a big part of the discussion going forward they want it fully return to the states federalism on abortion entirely so that that's worth talking about that was newsworthy and um, I thought their their answers on immigration were interesting everybody supported closing the border and securing the border having a wall Vikram's answers was a lot more nuanced he said look I want a high wall but a broad gate so he wants to reform the immigration, the legal immigration system. Right. So it actually works, which would then, um, in his theory, reduce the stress on the border if you actually had the legal process working. So that was kind of interesting. Um, I've obviously, Kevin Smith was, I guess, dominant is the word. Like he, he just had the most consistent, thought out, well-articulated answers on every question. But he made the choice to go after Bolduc and um, chuck morse so that was interesting politics there his decision to to really take on the other two folks are perceived to be sort of the front runners and do it in a you know really throwing some elbows there but with a smile so that that was that was the fireworks except for fenton who just went unloaded on chuck morse (laughs) like you know he was a like like Chuck Morse had right. murdered his parents 30 years ago <laughs> and he finally saw him at a convenience store exactly. and all this pent up rage. That was just like really the fireworks
1: and, of the debate. And, and I do I, I was bemused. Senator Morse looked bemused. I mean, it was. Yeah. He, I don't think that uh, Bruce did a good job of connecting why he felt that rage to right. the object of his rage. But I do think he really reached out to the uh, first, the, the free state uh, audience who have a very libertarian view he talks a lot about fighting tyranny and there and that's <laughs> not an insignificant number of voters in new hampshire oh, for yeah. a republican primary you know they can't they're not a majority not even close but they're, <laughs> they're a significant faction and then he also i think reached out to parents who are just yeah. really mad at the the mess they've been left behind a student who's a year or two behind the problems they've had maybe the fiscal problems they had because the schools up and go etc and they hated the lockdowns hated the masks and he uh you know gave them uh, he, he gave voice to that frustration, I
0: thought. Yeah, and I think the COVID, I mean, you had mentioned this afterwards, but the COVID policies, the lockdowns, the masks, the um, Fauci and the, the mandates, all that stuff is is the sleeper issue in this yep. election. And that's where you have the, obviously the hardcore libertarian faction, but also there's a lot of bleed over and the, the broadly speaking, the Leave Us Alone coalition is they're starting to call themselves more often. Right. Um, that, that is going That's gonna come up and that I think will trip up some people who were in office in the last two years. And and only one person,
1: only one person, took the opportunity to say that Chris Sununu did a good job with the lockdown, and that was, not surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Morris. I think if the uh, primary voters show up and they're not in the mood for <laughs> a. Uh, for a for an, a politician for an incumbent if they really are just yeah. you know i'm anti that's just gonna be tough for chuck morris fairly or unfairly because yeah. you know <laughs> elections are not always fair uh that's a problem. if they decide we really we want to play it safe we really want to get rid of maggie Hassan and we need someone who's been around the block i think that helps him but uh for people who like debates kevin smith was the best debater i would also note george w bush never won a debate he won four elections yeah. two for governor of texas and two for president united states
0: yeah i mean and especially in an early debate like this where everybody's having their first experience on the stage with this particular group um you know people could get better over time and hardly anybody was watching compared to an mur debate so long way to go you know it's a great sort of I think Kevin Smith can take a, a, a bit of a victory lap, but you know, it's a long, long way to go.
1: So we've got some more debate com- talk coming up with Harris Alec. And of course you can hear Drew Klein on WFEA every morning, six to 9 AM. Uh, I listen on the stream. I use my phone app thingy, uh, you know, so that I don't have to track you down every morning. It makes it nice and easy yeah, on tuning. either way, but, but you know, you're on the radio. So I want to see that. I want to ask one more thing as we're talking a new poll moved from UNH about how people feel about the elections, election security, et cetera. I just want to ask you about something broadly. This is yet another poll that shows that Democrats are two to three times, Drew, more confident that 2020, the vote their votes here in New Hampshire are counted properly, and they expect the votes to be counted in 2022. Republicans, only a third to a half as many feel the same way, you saw what happened in Georgia: two close U.S. Senate seats lost, and there have been several studies now that have shown that Trump's message of it's rigged cost him at least one, if not both, of those seats. Uh, should Republicans be worried about this message of we really need you to vote
0: because you can't trust the voting? Yes. Yes, if, I mean, we saw this in Georgia and some other places when Trump went out of his way to say before the election was done, but while votes were still out there to be cast, the system's rigged, you can't trust it, it's corrupt. And it depressed turnout, you, you can't, if you push down trust in the process and make people think, well, it doesn't matter if you show up because the system's rigged against you, they're less likely to show up. So yeah, Republicans should be worried that their side has less trust in the process. But the other interesting takeaway here is Democrats have been telling us for years that the system is corrupt and rigged and and that um, there's voter suppression going on everywhere. you know every every Democrat running for federal office, a lot of Democrats running for state office have been saying for a couple of years that every state's reform is voter suppression and that you can't trust these people and yet right. their electorate, trust the system so is that is, is that message even getting through to their own voters their own voters say oh we trust it after they've been trying to delegitimize it now for a couple of years yeah so just a, a warning something that uh, people want to take uh,
1: take note of and then finally that same unh survey center poll found uh, that while almost half of republicans strongly support the law that says We must be first in the nation for presidential primary. Almost half, 46%, must have it, strongly support. Only a quarter of self-identified Democrats feel the same way, 28%. In fact, the margin is strongly and somewhat support, 60% for Republicans, 45% for Democrats. Almost as many Democrats say they're totally neutral. So Democrats are either neutral, meh, I I think that that's the one of the untold stories about why the First Nation primary for Democrats is in trouble and why this uh, this uh, D.C. gathering is so significant, uh, Drew. It's that the half-hearted defense from Democrats like Senator Shaheen is based on the fact that there's only half-hearted support among Democratic voters in New Hampshire who apparently have bought this idea. Yes, you really are too white to be allowed to go
0: first yeah I mean, if if you believe the theory that New Hampshire is illegitimately first, that mm-hmm. there's structural racism in the system right. that New Hampshire is ninety four percent white, so therefore um, its spot ought to be taken away and given to a state that's more ethnically diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've internalized that message, then you're not going to be a very strong, robust defender of the primary. Ten percent of Democrats in New Hampshire somewhat or strongly oppose letting the state
1: go first. How what percentage what, says so 10% small number, right? What percentage of yeah. Republicans oppose it? Zero. Zero no, they have no respondents. They know we want to go first, damn it. I just, I, once again, you can't let national Democrats like the chairman of the DNC and candidates for office like Cory Booker call your state a bunch of, you know suspect voters because of their dem- demographics year after year after year. And expect nothing to happen from it. And that's what Democrats did. Democrats said, you know, they took the kicks. They No one stood up and said, stop calling my voters bigots. Stop saying my voters don't care about people of color. Particularly a state that B- Barack Obama carried twice. I mean, does anyone doubt that Kamala Harris could have done well in New Hampshire, except for the fact that she's a lousy candidate? This is nonsense.
0: And it reminds me a little bit of that poll when the Ukraine, Ukraine war broke out. Mm-hmm. And they asked, would you be willing, if if a similar invasion happened in the United States, would you be willing to go fight and defend your country? And Republican Mm -hmm. response was yes, off the charts. I don't remember the exact numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Democrat response was really surprisingly tepid. A lot. A significant percentage of Democrats said no. They they wouldn't take up arms to defend their country if it was invaded. Um, And I just... And when you see this with the primary and, you know, this pretty large percentage of Democrats saying, no, they don't think it should be defended. It's just kind of, you know, there's a thread there somewhere.
1: 68% of Republicans said they would stay, stand and fight if Russia invaded just 40% of Democrats.
0: Yeah, that that, (laughs) that truly is remarkable. There's something cultural... In that there's something cultural in this sort of idea that's really prevalent on the left, that Western society, Western mm-hmm. values, the United States is not um, exceptional, except being exceptionally bad. That um, you know there's white privilege and, and systemic right. racism everywhere. These ideas seep in and it, it, it erodes your patriotism, it erodes your confidence in your own institutions, and um, I just I think that's something is is seeping in there and at a play here it is all about mindset because let's face it russia
1: ain't gonna evade anytime soon even if they did no one knows what you said on that poll why would anybody say anything but damn straight i'd fight that's yeah. right give me that gum I mean, it's just it's such it's such a normal human reaction to just at least pretend that you're brave but apparently that uh, can't overcome not brave enough to overcome wokeness drew klein thanks for joining us love your radio show every morning now let's talk to harris alec with the washington times here on the new hampshire journal podcast so when we did our big debate with the republican candidates for u.s senate we decided to bring a ringer in from out of town we had we had a great dc reporter unfortunately he wasn't available so we got harris alec with the washington
2: times harris how are you (laughs) doing well uh uh michael thank you so much for having me at the debate <laughs> the, i uh hope i didn't uh hope i didn't embarrass you too much there not, you know, not uh, too
1: much not too much you're the poor man's uh uh david drucker so that's <laughs> good
2: that's good to know
1: no and actually the only embarrassment was the idiot more uh, uh moderator who kept us screwing up who was supposed to talk which that wouldn't be me uh so seriously you covered capitol hill DC, you talked to a lot of DC, uh, Republicans about, you know, what's how things are looking in Congress, what they hope will happen in 2022. So, uh, let's start with how you think DC Republicans, and we know some were viewing the debate, you know, by the stream, et cetera. And by the way, if you haven't seen the debate, it's up at the Facebook page at nhjournal.com. Anyway, uh, what do you think they made of what the Republican field looks like?
2: Well, I think obviously, you know, uh, to take a step back, you know, D.C. Republicans were very, very excited about, about this race when it looked like Governor Chris Sununu was going to run. And then after he stepped out, I think, you know, there's been kind of a, um, a drop off in interest only because a lot of the other candidates running, you know, they're not well known. Uh, right. The most high profile candidate, I think, is probably the state Senate President Chuck mm-hmm. Morris. But even that, I mean, you know, he's still the state Senate President. He's not known statewide. Uh, none of these folks have raised a particularly a ton of money um, and I think when you take all that into account and you look at the fact that they're running against Maggie Hassan, a former two-term governor who won somewhat of a close race in 2016, there's been kind of a concern that none of these candidates are um, ready, you know, just to take her on. I think this debate has probably helped kind of lessen some of those concerns. I think the the big issue still right now is, though, you know, the primaries is not until September 13th. People are concerned that whoever ends up emerging is not going That have enough time really be able to develop a brand around themselves to have enough name recognition to be able to take her on. But look, this is a very very difficult year for Democrats. I think as we've seen with just how much Hassan has leaned into the national issues and just how much she's run away from Biden, whether it's on the federal gasoline tax or Mm -hmm. countless other issues, they are concerned. And I think right now there's probably going to be some interest in 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 this race after this debate. But I think you know right now there's there's still a lot of concern as to whether or not any candidate's going to be able to really push in and make the uh, make the nomination their own in the, in the next eight weeks. But I think, you know, unfortunately, the, the New Hampshire timeline here with only having eight weeks to run a general election campaign makes this a little difficult. But I have no doubt that as the race shapes up, people are going to start parachuting in. And you're going to see more endorsements start coming in. And, you know, whoever ends up being the GOP nominee is probably going to end up having tons of super PAC money to support their candidacy. I think right now things just look a little fluid because, you know, the field is still very much unknown. Absolutely. There is not a prohibitive front runner
1: not even close. Uh, If on polls, uh, I I think uh, General Don Baldock is right to point out that in polls, he consistently, uh, you know, does better than any of the other candidates, but he also ran two years ago. And so he has a name ID and name ID is something that you can buy. I want to talk about this race in the national context. So you have a Republican US Senator retiring in Pennsylvania. There were high hopes that in a year like this, Republicans could hold a Pennsylvania U.S. Senate seat, which is a tough thing. Pennsylvania is a lot like New Hampshire in the sense that Republicans tend to do better at the state level than they do at the federal level. Uh, And what happened, uh, thanks to Donald Trump and some other things, they ended up with Dr. Oz, who has. I may be Harris. Have you ever seen a U.S. Senate nominee challenger with polls as bad as his i mean his negatives are like three times higher than his positives it's just astonishing
2: yeah that's that's obviously some of the lingering effects of the the primary look you know dave mccormick spent a lot of money destroying uh dr oz's name in uh in the state of pennsylvania now oz luckily has a lot of his own money so (laughs) you know he's got a lot of his own money which he can pour into this race heading into uh you know heading into memorial uh heading into labor day heading into the fall campaign season, but you know, Pennsylvania is going to be a very, very difficult race. It's going to be uh very, very much up there. And, you know, and I think, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the the unfortunate nature of where the New Hampshire race is playing out right now, where this is a prime pickup opportunity. You know, New Hampshire goes back and forth a lot. Um, but wait,
1: wait, you're getting, because- you're, getting ahead, you're getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead of me. So, so we got Pennsylvania, definitely a problem there. Then you have uh, uh Arizona, which is a state that is, you know, has been Republican for a long time. Now it's got two democratic U S senators and a party that is totally insane. And there's a real concern that they're going to nominate someone that's, you know, problematic. Then you've got Missouri where I'm just, I don't know what to say about a state that would nominate Eric Greitens to be their nominee, but he's currently leading in the polls. And if, If tying a woman up and threatening her in your basement isn't enough to end your political campaign, you are in a different place than (laughs) I am. That's another Republican seat at risk. So it's very possible Republicans could lose two seats. So you got to make those both up and then pick up another one and then throw in Herschel Walker, one of the worst candidates I've ever seen in my entire life, running in Georgia, uh, which is a red state that may save him, may not. Isn't it likely, Harris? That when we get to that primary on September 13th, that the entire political universe is gonna be focused on New Hampshire because control of the US Senate is very, it's very possible we'll come down to
2: this election. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, uh, right now the Senate split 50-50, every single seat matters that's up for re-election this year, whether it's Democrat or whether it's Republican. Um, you know, the uh, and I mean, there's also the simple fact, too, that, you know, the political environment is so bad in this country for Democrats, that Democrats are actually worried about, you know, they're having to spend money in states like Washington, they're not going to lose the United States Senate seat in Washington, obviously, it's not even going to be close, but they're worried enough that they're having to spend some money there to prop up uh, Senator Maria Candwell. this is, you know, this is one of those years where it's so difficult to be a Democrat and, you know, inflation's at 8.6%. The national economy is starting to show signs of recession. There is incredible pressure going on on the on the national on the international stage. For as reluctant as I am to interrupt, as you can already tell, Harris, you mentioned
1: Washington State as a place where Democrats do not expect to have to know. Are there any other places where there? For example, I, uh, N- Nevada. I think they always knew Nevada was going to be a race. I gotta tell you, if I had to bet right now, I would say that uh, Adam Laxalt, the Republican, is probably the front runner against the incumbent uh, who it's either Cortez Mastos or Mastos Cortez. I can never
2: remember. I apologize. <laughs> it's it's uh, I, th- I think it's Masto Cortez. Yeah, no, no. Lacoste is absolutely the front runner in that race. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of races like that a- across the country right now where control is going to be significantly tight. Uh, North Carolina is an- another one where uh, Senator Richard Burr is retiring. Um, Foreign president, Donald Trump endorsed uh, Ted Budd who looks like he's in a pretty good position to romp in in november but you know we'll see he's running against the former supreme court justice uh in the state who you know had won a few statewide races of her own so it's going to be a very very difficult contest but yeah. it's also north
1: carolina more- is not a romp for the federal elections anymore it's uh republicans can win but i don't i don't predict a romp i but i think you're right that's probably gonna, so north carolina but once again north carolina is a hold it's republican to republican it's these Losing Repo- I think it's very it, it's it's almost unimaginable to me, Harris. So let me ask you this way. Do you think there's any way Republicans keep all of the seats they have right now? Doesn't it seem very unlikely given the
2: the troubles? You know, I would say that, that would obviously be the case if it just wasn't such a bad year for, uh, good for Democrats, right? You know, if this was if this was 2024, you know, if this was year we're gonna have massive turnout. Uh, amongst Democrats, if you had like a national race that was gonna mobilize everything, I would say, you know, absolutely. It, it would be so difficult for Democrats to keep some of these seats, even if they nominate someone like Eric Reitens in, in Missouri. I think the national environment is just so bad. But look, right now, we don't really know if that is gonna end up being the case because we yeah. don't know what the fallout of, of the road decision is gonna be. You know, it could end up mobilizing suburban women in a way that we just haven't seen in a generation. They could end up coming out and, you know, the, the progressive Democratic base could end up coming out and it could end up being, a national style election in in terms of turnout. That could very well be the case. And if that is the case, Mm -hmm. then I I absolutely agree. You know, if Eric Reitens is the nominee, then he's in trouble in in Missouri. You know, Dr. Oz is in trouble in Pennsylvania. Uh, But right now we just don't know what that looks like. That's a great point. If it ends up looking more like 2010 and 2014, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I think Republicans will be safe no matter who they nominate. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it ends up looking more like 2017 and 2018 and 2020, then these guys are in some serious trouble.
1: Yeah, that, that's And it can't be overstated that uh, the national uh, you know, uh, climate is the most important thing, but we've also never seen an election where you just had you know, Roe versus Wade overturned, which is a, a seismic shock. And we'll see how it settles down and if it, if, it, if it has fundamentally shifted things so that voters have abandoned the Republican Party, women voters, they just won't come back you know, anytime soon, or if it's the case that the other issues, as I've predicted, other issues are going to rise to the fore, particularly once people in states like New Hampshire uh, and uh, Pennsylvania and, uh, and Nevada, another purple state, Nevada. No, no, Nevada. That's right. They always, just, by the way, I just double checked. It's Nevada and it's Catherine Cortez Masto. So you want to get that right here <laughs> on the thing, but they're going to see that their abortion laws don't change. Right. That nothing happened. And so when nothing happens, I I think it's harder to motivate people on the, hey, I need you to come vote because nothing happened, but something might happen as opposed to, I need you to vote because prices suck right now. And, you know, you're mad about your kids right now. And so I think that's gonna be different. I want to go back to the, the debate Monday night. You're an outsider. You don't know any of these guys. You're just sitting watching. What was your impression of the the candidates? General Dom. I'm going to go in the order they spoke last night. General Dom Bulduck, Town Manager um, Kevin Smith, State Senate President Chuck Morse, uh, Business Entrepreneur Harvard Guy Vikram Manisharami, I, I, I Vikram. That's I apologize, Vikram, and uh, Bitcoin Business Guy Bruce Spin.
2: Right. I think, look, you know, this was this was an interesting uh, debate because each of the candidates had, uh, you know, their their own attributes that I think would make them a, you know, strong competitor in in the general election. If I had to say someone won the debate, you know, I think it probably would have been a tie between, um, you know, uh, I, I would say Kevin Smith and uh, potentially General Don Bulldog, uh, only because I think he he has raised some concerns over the years uh, with potentially his temperament and his ability to uh, you know, show himself as a serious candidate. Um, you know, in the past, he's, you know, he's kind of come off as a little fringy, come off as mm-hmm. a little bit of of a hard right guy. But that didn't really come off on, on, on the stage last night. His answers were well delivered. You know, they were significantly right of center, maybe a little too right of center for the New Hampshire general election electorate. Mm-hmm. But I think if you were watching that race and if you had concerns about his candidacy, I don't think those emerged at all last night. And I think he he may have put some of those away. I think Kevin Smith was you know the the clear uh the clear favor last night you know he for someone who was unknown someone who I'd never heard of until last night you know he came off very very well polished likable he came off as normal and normal and polished are two different <laughs> are two very very difficult things to get together, especially if you're a politician, but he was able to bring those together very, very well. Uh, Chuck Morris, who obviously um, is the state senate president, is viewed by a lot of people in, in D.C. as the front runner because of that title, I think did fairly well enough. He didn't necessarily have a breakout moment. But look, you know, if, you're, if you've if you got a ton of money, if you're considered the favorite, you know, you want to play it safe. And I think he played it safe last night, and there's no shame in, in doing that. Uh, Vikram, I think, uh, significantly impressed, but I think the bar was lower for him because no one necessarily knew who he was. Uh, he looks like the type of guy who you know probably isn't going to necessarily win this race but if he ends up getting appointed to some sort of position or runs for state senator you know runs for something later down the line is really gonna have a great career in politics he's got some hair. chops
1: he showed he's and, got some chops
2: last night but and uh you know i think bruce fenton obviously is an interesting candidate i don't think he is running this race to win it all i think he's running to make a point about the issues that he cares about and that came across well last night i you know i don't. I think the the people who are going to vote for Bruce Fenton, obviously, either agree with him, Uh, you know, he might be able to pull in some of the guys who really love Bitcoin, some of the guys who, you know, love a lot of other stuff who aren't necessarily voting. But I don't necessarily think that's enough to win you a primary, let alone a general election. So I would say this, you know, this race was surprising for me last night, this debate. I think there are a lot of very, very good candidates. And I think for folks watching in D.C. and folks watching at the NRSC, I think, you know, there's there's the potential here for. Uh, a prime opportunity to potentially be Maggie Hassan if any one of these candidates ends up winning. The only issue is obviously, you know, the primary setback so laden. Uh, I think a lot of these candidates, because they don't have widespread name recognition, because they haven't run for statewide office before, or there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not they're going to be able to put together the sort of coalitions and right. the resources needed to win a primary. And I think that's that's the big outstanding thing right here. And look, you know, part of this is obviously Governor Chris Sanunu's fault. How you know, had he announced in <laughs> January of, of 2021, hey, I'm not gonna run, maybe these other right. candidates would have had more sure. time to be able to jump into it. But he announced in November. He froze out the race for six to eight months because everyone assumed it was gonna be him. And, you know, when he opted not to run, it kind of set off a scramble. And these guys are still kind of very much, you know, running in sure. a shadow. And maybe after the primary, I have no doubt that's gonna, you know, not be the case. And they're gonna be able to kind of come out and uh, really, really run their own types of campaigns. But right now, you know, they're still. Fighting to kind of get away from his shadow, and I think that's been uh, one of the unfortunate uh, developments here. Mm-hmm.
1: Listen, uh, uh, just a couple more minutes, and then we've got to wrap up. I really appreciate your time, uh, Harris Alec, with the uh, Washington Times. You cover Capitol Hill. What do people on Capitol Hill think of Senator Maggie Hassan? Like we we know, for example, that Senator Gene Shaheen. Whether you agree with her politics, disagree with the politics, she has a reputation, particularly in the area of foreign policy. She's built up some credibility there. She's one of the people you go to, you know, if you've got an issue with, say, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, there are other, you know, from both parties, there are senators who've kind of crafted up their space. And then there are a lot of senators, quite frankly, they're like, I didn't even know that was a senator. Where <laughs> would you put Maggie Hassan on in the Capitol Hill group?
2: Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, she's she's a freshman senator, which I think always makes the, you know, always is a difficult place to kind of break out and be able to craft a a persona for yourself. Some are able to do it very, very well. Um, She's kind of struggled with that a little bit. I think prior this year, uh, prior to until the 2020 election, you know, really, I hadn't heard all that much from her. Um, I know she's on the Senate Finance Committee, but, you know, she hasn't played a leading role in a lot of the big spending fights that have kind of come out she hasn't necessarily played a big role in the infrastructure or the build back better bills um in recent months she's really kind of made a name for herself as not being afraid to buck the the biden administration whether it's on title 42 Mm -hmm. whether it's been on the gasoline tax and other issues but for a lot of people you know this this looks like an election year gimmick you know um all the vulnerable democrats who are running like mark kelly in arizona like maggie Hassan, who are facing tough headwinds you know they're they're coming out and they're making news for breaking with the administration on XYZ. But in in reality, I think people are wondering, well, you know, where were you for the past four or eight years? You know, what are, you know, what have you been doing? And and again, a lot of that is is based on the fact that a freshman senator has very, very little influence. They have very, very little ability to, to craft news. But I would say as a former governor, you know, she hasn't necessarily um she hasn't necessarily made as, as much of a big splash as right. others have, you know, when Joe Manchin came to the United States Senate in, in 2009, you know, he was, you know, he obviously developed a, a, a persona and a brand very, very quickly as a former governor, you know, obviously it's very, very different because uh, West Virginia, at least parts of it are, you now in DC's backyard and, you know, he's kind of a talkative uh, charismatic guy. And, you know, he's, he's been able to do a lot with that, even though he doesn't necessarily have a ton of influence or at least didn't until recently Senator Hassan hasn't been able to do that, and I think that's that's one of the difficult things. But, you know, I have no doubt that if she was to win, win re-election, maybe she'd, you know, uh, as she accrued a little more seniority, she'd be in a better position to do that. But, uh, you know, if if I had to name an accomplishment of, of, of her first Senate term, I really could not even, you know, begin to... Right. Well, I
1: just I just think she's in an odd spot, having repeat you know supported all down the line, all of the Democratic opposition to increased oil and gas exploration, supported Green New Deal, supported Build Back Better, and it's you know draconian uh, actions to now suddenly run it on a you know drill baby drill platform. To have voted repeatedly against the wall when the Trump administration was trying to build it, having voted repeatedly in favor of amnesty, to now try to run on the build that wall. I just You know, the question is whether Republicans will have the resources to make sure voters know that, you know, this is this is regardless of what she's saying now, this is her record and they may not have the resources or the voters may not care. They may just say, you know what? She's in the right place now. What do I care? What do I care? What she did the first five years? You just can't tell. I can't tell, however, that we've got to wrap this up. Uh, Harris, Alec, Washington Times, thanks so much for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. I appreciate your time.
2: Always a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com, where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening.